It's the NYMC Podcast with Jimmy and Brenton. You're listening to the NYMC Podcast with Brenton Colleen and Jimmy Young. Good to see you again, Jimmy. Mate, it's fantastic to be back in the studio. One more time. One more time. <laughs> We've almost come to the end of 2016. No. But, hey, there was some pretty exciting news released via the Facebook page. That's right. We're yeah. headed to SeaWorld. Come on, SeaWorld. Yeah, I did a dance, several dances. Yeah. You might have seen them on the Facebook page. Yeah. I may have even clapped like Flipper. Yeah. The, the back of the hands sort of yeah. going together, you know, like... Well, I'm not going to make the noise because that's just downright embarrassing, but my kids did hear it. If you can imagine Brenton being embarrassing, <laughs> that's what's happening. It's going to happen. Anyway, we're so excited for that. October 9 to 11, 2017, SeaWorld on the Gold Coast. Mate, you want to start doing whatever you need to do to get your team there. Yep. And uh, I can't wait, personally. I'm yep. going to be there with bells on. I am so excited. And I'm also excited to have our guest in because I don't know about you, Brenton, but... 2016 has been the year of confusion for me. The year has just <laughs> completely confused me. Well, saying. look, I think this year more than any other, we've got a former WWE Super Slam contestant who's yes. now the president-elect of America, True. for better or worse. the you had internet, to bring that up, didn't you? The internet has been mourning collectively oh, a gorilla for wow. the past six months. <laughs> Justin Bieber has been releasing good music. I'm utterly confused. That and so is the I'm, most confusing aspect of this year. I, it, that's true. Yeah. So I'm glad that we can have someone come in to cut through all the confusion. I'm very glad because this time we have not only our very first repeat guest on the NYMC podcast, we've got one of Australia's leading researchers into youth spirituality, and most importantly, a good friend of both Brenton and myself. We've got Rowan Lewis. Yay. Welcome, Rowan. Welcome, mate. It's great to be here. Good. Yep. And now we've set you up for a joke. What an intro. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to solve the world's confusion. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Good work. Well, the reason we've brought you in, Rowan, is that the Fuller Youth Institute have just released their new research and book, Growing Young. And uh, I'm very excited. I've, I've read it. You've read it. We've interacted with the research a bit. Mm. But I'm interested. What are your thoughts? What's the background that's gone into the Growing Young research? Look, it's, it's a... It's a it is an epic piece of work in the sense that it, it comes off the back of three or more years where a lot of the resources of the Fuller Youth Institute have been focused on asking the question, what are churches who are genuinely engaging with young people well, seemingly not just attracting them in terms of numbers, but actually growing them their faith? What are they doing? Now, in a sense, they're doing like what research might find impossible, which is hunting for the X factor. It's kind mm. of like research that goes into what makes a good teacher. Yeah. Well, there's just something that's there, but you can't always quite nail it down. Well, these guys have gone looking for the kind of the X factor in churches. What, what, where, when churches are going well, when they're engaging with young people and genuinely growing their faith, what's going on there, and can we actually identify it in some way, shape, or form? Which is a pretty tricky task, um, and so they spent three years on it. The the kind of resource, like they got some endowment funding for it, and uh, the project became known as the the Keep Project, which was very cool. <laughs> the churches engaging young people. They're great at acronyms. Oh, they're, they're masters of, of acronyms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of that research, like two hundred fifty nine churches, ten thousand hours of interviews, thirteen hundred people interviewed, forty states, eighty thousand miles of travel. Like it really, they, they, they threw a lot at it to, to really try and get to the to the bottom of this. They they involved a lot of um, stakeholders, great thinkers, key players um, in America, admittedly. Yeah. Um, 
But in that sense, it's sort of it's something that you've got to go, well, look, this is worth engaging with and paying attention to because it's a real intent to bring, you know, if youth ministry as a discipline is sort of 50, 60 years old, they're really trying to bring that into, into a funnel and say, what are churches doing well when they're engaging uh, young people? And mm. so, yeah, I was, I was really interested when it was released. It was great to be a part of sort of the pre-release and to be in discussion with some of the people who were behind it mm. and to hear their, their heart and their, their, their sort of their distillation of what they thought was going on. And uh, so, yeah, it represents so much learning that we can, or, or sort of insight that we can sort of bounce off, imagine, um, and also, I guess, sort of critically think about because America's not Australia and, and so on. So there's, there's lots of us to explore here. So would you say that uh, the research does have some application to us here in Australia? Because like, I think one of the things that I've been really aware of is that just the gap seems to close culturally um, just in terms of globalisation, in terms of, you know, access to information, uh, the way in which people are being influenced by other countries around the world. Perfect example being, Jimmy, as you were saying before, the US presidential election, which in some respects, why would Australians actually care about that? But it was on our headline for so many Exactly. <laughs> I was more interested than at my own election. <laughs> well, it was. I have to confess it was a little more entertaining. Uh, but that said... Um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, what vested interest would we have? Um, now, clearly, America is a superpower in terms of the election, you know, mm. that was relevant. Ministry, on the other hand, I get the, the cultural subtleties and the differences between the US and Australia. But by and large, uh, is this something that we as the Australian church can take away and learn from? Look, I reckon there is in the sense that it is American-based. They've researched American churches um, but when you look at who they've researched, they've cut right across the denominations, including Catholics, including Greek Orthodox. Wow. They've gone right across the socio-demographics, mm-hmm. um, and they've gone right across um, size as well. So they have reached up into the 1,500, 2,000-plus churches, but by and large, like 70% of their sample size was 250 and less wow. in, terms of, in yeah. terms of sizes. So there is this sense that they're not just talking about the biggest and the flashiest, and in fact, when they one of the first things they released was this sort of ten myths about youth ministry, and they pretty much said, you know, money, size, and cool aren't the thing <laughs> that we've found at all. Mm. Um, what's also in, uh, unique or helpful in the way they've structured the book is they they give you kind of general. Each chapter has this idea of a general intro to stuff. Then they introduce you to their research, and then the last third of it is here's some practical things, and they're drop dead practical, mm. like they're just real stuff on the ground that um, you can do tomorrow. Bearing in mind that they are being pretty subtle, they're not just saying here's the next program, they're saying here's the kind of culture that can really influence uh, the faith and life of young people constructively. And that's one of the things I think that I really appreciated about Growing Young as a book is that it wasn't just here's some things that good churches are doing, go do that and that's the silver bullet. It's sort of like a lot of it was culture stuff. A lot mm-hmm. of it was this. it's not really quantifiable in some ways, which is strange for a piece of research. Mm. Um, but... It was, it was quite helpful in that sense. Now, as you said there, the research is quite epic. And so we're actually going to separate these podcasts into one and two, part yeah. one, part two. And so today we're going to be looking at how the growing young research relates to young people. And then we're going to be looking at part two, how the research relates to the culture at large and culture within churches. Mm. So I'm, I'm excited to get into that. Mm. All right. So Ron, the basic premise, what, what do we get from growing young? All right. So the basic heart behind Growing Young was, as we've said, they were, they were guided by this sort of primary question, which is a 
well here they, they state it quite clearly, a church that is effective with young people is one that's involving and retaining young people in the congregation and community, as well as helping them to develop a vibrant faith in Jesus. And so they went out to find what this, uh, what, what these, where these churches were, what they were doing and what's going on. Now, that's then sort of the first thing to recognise about this research is what you don't get in here is the faith of a young person. What you don't get is the is this kind of dissection or understanding of how young people believe. This is fundamentally about how faith communities, how churches, how corporate or institutional settings, what uh, where they're going well, what are they doing, and where they're going poorly, what are they doing. What's interesting about that is that they sampled not only the pastors, but the volunteers, and then also the young people themselves. And they weren't, mm. they weren't afraid to say, young people thought this, pastors thought that. <laughs> Pretty big mismatch, actually. <laughs> wow. Um, so Ouch. some of those, yeah. So some of those insights are, are really quite interesting. The other thing that I found really interesting about this um, is that this kind of represents the new wave of research. And what I mean by that is, there's probably been ten years or more of they're leaving, they're leaving, they're yeah. going. Faith lost, you've lost us. Yeah. Bye bye. Um, hemorrhaging faith, all that kind of stuff. But the new wave of research is saying, but what about those that stay? What's, mm, yeah. what's the deal with that? Um, so we start. I'm not quite sure if we're necessarily um, all over why people are leaving or have got an adequate response to that yet. But it's good to see the other side of the story starting to emerge. Of mm-hmm. it's, it's not all gloom and doom. There is some stuff that's going well. And what does that actually look like? Now, having said that, I reckon, and here's a bit of a plug for the Australian or the Trans-Pacific, if you mm-hmm. like, that the people that have actually been leading the way on this research are New Zealanders. Right. So ten years ago, we had Alan Jamison. Damn it! <laughs> well, you know, like all of good Australian stuff came from New Zealand, <laughs> Lamingtons, Farlap, you know. Um, New Zealand researchers, we will adopt you. Yeah, yeah. 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 shout out to our friends in New Zealand. We really do love you. Yeah, come Please to see well. Come to see. <laughs> but we had Alan Jamison doing Churchless Faith, um, which was a, all a research into young people and young adults and adults who were still naming themselves as Christian, but un, unable to do that within a church context. And he followed that up five years later with, you know, five years on. Uh, and more recently, there's a guy called Carlton Johnston who wrote a book called Embedded Faith, The Faith Journeys of Young Adults Within the Church. And he again expressly went after the experience of young adults who had remained in the church and what was transpiring there. My favourite chapter in that book was one called Church Two-Timing, um, <laughs> where he goes and explores the fact that young adults just... Eat from the pastoral side, you might say they're uncommitted, but from the young person's side, they tend to see church communities fulfilling different functions. And so yeah. they'll go here to worship because their parents go there, but they go here because their small group goes there, and they'll go here once a month because they have a ripper service. Yeah. Um, and that sounds like consumerism, but it's, it's just part of the, the fabric of what is today. And he goes in to explore that, to not just view that as a lack of commitment, but trying to work out what's trying to transpire. So all that is to say, this is uh, what growing young have been trying to do is to work out what's been going well, why are people staying, and, um, and is there ways that, that we can learn from that so that it can be part of our churches that can grow young as well. Mm. I have to say I find that approach uh, refreshing. <laughs> mm. it's, it's great to think um, that there's the opportunity to learn from that body of research that actually gives us some affirmative action uh, in response to a, an issue that has been, you know, pretty much plaguing the church for a number of years now. Yeah. Um, so I, I find that really rather, um, yeah, just really refreshing. Yeah. Something we need more of, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I need to say, if you're a, if you're a newbie, 
um, to, to youth ministry world, then this is a great book as a bit of a primer. Like it brings you up with a lot of research. It couches it really quickly and well and gives you some footnotes as to where you can chase it further. If you're a thoughtful practitioner and you've been around for a while, it helps you to focus on the forest for the trees. Like it helps you to kind of sort out what, you know, when we talk about in-generational ministry, what are we talking about here? If we're talking about changing the church, what are we talking about, which is good. And if you're a researcher, you might find it a little bit frustrating because they work so hard to to couch their research in ways that are presentable. They try and keep you away from the rats and the stats and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're if you're a person that really loves percentages and wonders what's really underneath that kind of stuff, you, you've got to go to their website and some of their other journal articles that they've released because it's not in the book per se. So we open the book. What do we find? What is the, what is the research saying? What is the three years, the thousands and thousands of interview hours? What is it, what is it boiled down to? Look, obviously, it's really hard to put everything that they've found into a nutshell. Um, but if we were to zoom back the lens, there's a couple of things we can say. Number one is what I appreciate about what they've done is that they haven't released a program. They haven't released this as six easy steps to solve all your problems with young people or anything like that. Number two, they're firmly focused on culture. So the, the vibe and the dynamic, the worldview that your faith community has, and then the way that that gets exhibited in its relationship to young people and the way that your church is related to culture. So they're the two ways that we'll be talking about this, is it's the church relationships to young people and then the church's relationship to culture, which actually um, shape whether a church is going to grow young or grow old. Um, and that, there's, an, there's, a, there's kind of extraordinary challenge, or there's sort of an underlying premise there, which like I've been trying to sort of identify for myself, but it really kind of goes like this that the fundamental assumption of this research is the world has changed. Like, you know, it's not 1980s, it's not 1990s. My friends went to a 90s party the other day. I thought there was only 80s parties. There are now 90s parties. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Right, the world fundamentally has changed. Now, if personal faith is the way that young people embody the timeless truths of the gospel in the time and space that they're in, that means, like, the way people go about faith change. And if yeah. ministry is the way that we seek to nurture people's faith, and if times are changing and faith is changing, our ministry really has to change. We can't just go about business as usual, mm. do all the normal things. And if you read this book and just say, yep, ticking the boxes here, just need to do what we're always doing, I don't know if you've quite got under what they're seeking to say to you. There really is some genuinely uh, challenging stuff about how we as church, as faith community, relate to young people and how we as church relate to and engage with culture. Mm. Um, so many of their paragraphs look like they're a bit of a velvet glove, but in many cases they're actually a slap in the face. Hmm. Um, and it, it's good to kind of unpack what, what they have to say. Mm. So some of the, peeling back the hood, mm. some of the research has come out that says some stuff about keychain leadership, about including, mm -hmm. about warm communities. What... Of, of all the things that they've sort of distilled in their six, six I think, categories, yeah, six what, core commitments. What, what, what are those core commitments? All right. So the six core commitments, they, originally they came up with eight, interestingly. They came out with eight. And then once they did their third round of interview, they went, oh, and actually, I think we can we combine these in a different way and see that there's six core commitments. And again, that's where they started to get out this cultural dimension, that when a church is committed to one of these things, two of these things, three of these things, uh, then you start to see church that uh, starts to exhibit the kind of culture that will grow young. Um, now, they use metaphors. So they say unlocking key chain leadership, which has a lot to do with how authority is held within the church and how it is distributed. Empathising with young people is to uh, really get at a church's relationship to young people as one of either cynicism 
or as one of genuine interest and trying to get under their lived experience and say, yeah, we really dig you and we want to understand what life is like for you. We don't want to actually just condemn you and say, become more like us. Mm-hmm. Taking Jesus' message seriously is to look at this sense of gospel uh, and what is the heartbeat of Jesus' message in relation to young people in the context of our culture today. Mm-hmm. And again, that just doesn't say, say it louder, say it stronger. It has some pretty sol- solid things to say about um, how we need to understand the timeless truths, but in our context today. Fueling warm communities is real sense of finding family um, and how we are together in our relationships and really attacks this idea that you need to have uh, critical size. You actually have to have a critical form of intimacy and authenticity uh, mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. not just a critical mass. Prioritising young people's and families looks at this intergenerational thing and how you find young people dotted right across your faith community, which is a real shot at don't just make a youth service, don't just make a Sunday night service, don't make a parallel universe called mm-hmm. youth ministry. This is not integrated. We're not actually serving our young people well. Mm-hmm. And then finally, being the best neighbours, that really gets at that uh, culture church relationship uh, and seeing how we relate to people who don't identify with Christ and a culture that doesn't necessarily identify with Christ. And again, that has some pretty strong things to say about um, particularly like topical issues. It doesn't take a stand on these topical issues. So much to say is if you take a stand too quickly and don't allow young people to work through it, if you close down the discussion instead of opening up dialogue, you genuinely do them both a disfavour. Um, and you'll reinforce this. This is a place where you just need to sign up and obey yeah. and, and remember and believe as opposed to yeah, mm-hmm. sort these things out. Yeah. Faith is certainty instead of faith is journey. Yeah. Mm. So part one, mm-hmm. looking at how churches and young people collide and work together mm-hmm. to minister and build faith. What was, it, what was one of the most surprising things that, that sort of stood out from the research for you, Rowan? What stood out to me straight away, which was one of the first things I released, was we touched on it just briefly before, was the 10 myths. Uh, was that They came out straight away and shot down some of the, the gold-plated assumptions that tend to be, to be out there. And they said, we found no correlation with these whatsoever. And to some extent, it was, praise the Lord, <laughs> um, and, but also this kind of sense of, of, of relief that, that sort of that hunch that you have have had that I don't think this is quite going to be, you know, that yeah. they really were able to say we found no correlation, we found no correlation. So having a precise size, mm. big was not necessarily a thing. Being trendy, having a trendy location, being in a trendy region, being cool in general, right? Um, having an, an exact age that you target or a demographic, no. Um, denomination wasn't a big deal, like being in the popular yeah. um, tribe, if you like. Having a big flashy building, having a big budget, having a contemporary worship. Um, he was an interesting one. Um, they found that all the churches that were growing young had an incredibly robust theology going on there. So instead of this idea that you've just got to be flaky and watered down and have kind of, you know, like a Jesus is cool, wears skinny pants kind of theology, they didn't find that anywhere. They, mm-hmm. they found they encountered young people who could um, not just recite a gospel formula. Um, but actually say in meaningful, personal, and socially relevant ways what it meant to participate in the gospel mm. and bring mm. the kingdom to come. Um, and nor did, did ministry need to be particularly entertaining. It needed to be relevant and authentic. So some of those classic things just got yeah. shot down uh, straight away, um, which on the one hand I was kind of like, oh, good, or phew, or <laughs> great. <laughs> um, but it was really interesting to see that they were able to wrap data around and say we didn't, we didn't, 
find these to be of any statistical significance or correlation whatsoever. So those kind of hunches that you had, you kind of went, oh, good. Mm. And, and the difficult thing about those, those are some of the excuses that youth ministries make yeah. for the fact that they're not growing or the fact that they're not reaching young people. Yeah. We don't have the critical mass. We don't have the youth. We're not cool enough. We don't have the big budget. We don't have the building. Yeah. We're not yeah. you know, Pentecostal. We don't have that. We're not part of that tribe. Yeah. And they're just going... So yeah, and, and what? Yeah. And what? Yeah. Can I can I ask a question though? Was there any correlation in regards to the age? I mean, you mentioned in terms of the size of communities. Mm-hmm. Was there any indication that the average age of a congregation or the average age of a faith community was perhaps um, more likely to engage and help you know young people engage with church? Or, or yeah, and the reason I ask that because it, I just I really um, agree with you know all that you've just said i can remember sitting with a church um in a previous role as they were lamenting hey we just can't reach young people and they'd ask me to come and have a conversation with them about that and how they might be able to introduce some things and the the big thing they kept responding with was hey we're just so old Mm. we're just so old we're just so old now i i generally uh, my, my perspective is that age doesn't have to be a barrier um, but but is there anything in the research that we've just been discussing to indicate that it can help or hinder or you know one way or the other? I would almost almost go so far as to say that they would almost provide you data with the opposite okay. kind of conclusion. So when they say young person, they're saying fifteen to thirty. That was their if you're engaging young people, you you're engaging sub thirty age. And then uh, what's lovely is that there is story after story after story in fact one of their last ones is churches that have come back from the brink hmm. and when they say brink like they were old they were gray they were pink rinsed and they were you know, ready to just tumble <laughs> off and, wow. and 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 go out to pasture um and but some, the reasons why they came back vary obviously um, but what they found was we, we can find these six core commitments. Maybe it was just one to start with, and then it tumbled into two, and then it tumbled into three. Um, but there's just tremendous stories of, you know, a, a volunteer in oh, some back of Whoop Whoop's town that had 2,000 people who just went, no, I'm not going to let my church die, mm. um, started to take a radical interest. And their first move was instead of creating a service for young people, was to create an occasion where the adults gathered around the young people to get to know them better. Yeah. And so the young people got a chance to tell a story of what happened this week or this or that or whatever. And the next thing they did, which I love, was there was a 70-year-old in the congregation who was a ripper golfer. <laughs> and they started teeing up where you could go for a golf round with Auntie so-and-so. And the first time they thought it was a joke, but three guys who thought they were pretty good at golfing went and took Auntie so-and-so around. And when she dropped a 30-foot putter... <laughs> On video, like, you know, live Facebook <laughs> kind of thing. That's awesome. She became an instant hero, and then there was a cue to go golfing with Auntie so-and-so. Yeah. And so it's these kinds of stories which go, you know, the weirdest, random, you know, but they all represent either, you know, a radical commitment to young people at every stage yeah. of your church thing mm. or this sense of warmth that began to develop or, 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 or. Mm. these core commitments started to bubble up and just didn't have anything to do with the, some of the classics that we might have expected. And I think it also has to say, like, what, what you were saying earlier about empathy, sort of yeah. like trying to see them as, as people. Like one of the familiar refrains is those youths or those young people, those like those those 15 to 30-year-olds, <laughs> right? That's a massive group of people. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of churches are struggling with, with young people. That's, mm. that's an issue. They see them as youths. Yeah. Mm. Whereas like I think what the research is suggesting is that if you love them and get to know them and prioritize them and build relationships with them, 
doesn't really matter that you're 30. It doesn't really matter that you're 40 or 50 or 70 and play golf. Yeah. Like, they don't know how to hold those things against you. Yeah, yeah. That, it's, they're looking for yeah. it. So, and if we want to do the numbers game, one of their findings was this, that it was Sticky Faith that first came out with this idea of reversing the 1 to 5, 5 to 1 ratio, which is young people go really well when they are surrounded by adults. And instead of thinking of we need one adult to be looking after five kids, we need to start to think about is this one young person routinely, naturally, and organically connected to five people within our congregation. Some of them might be parents, but others as well. They've now added to that to go, it's kind of five one five now. We do still want those five adults, and we want five what they're calling spiritual friendships, so peers as well. And when you get both sides of that community dynamic, they're like um, um, a really high correlation of you know, reading, engaging with the Bible, and attending worship, and not like some of the classic measures of, of faith and spirituality um, start to ping. Um, but it's got across the generations. Yeah, it's got yeah. across the generations. You know, if we can get grandparents, uh, quote unquote, aunts and uncles, <laughs> as well as spiritual friends, when you yeah. get that total community surrounding a young person, then they go well. Yeah, it's it's so true. And uh, and thinking through some of the dynamics around culture, which comes back to the the statement you made earlier that our practice needs to, in some way, meet you know the needs of the day. Um, or we need to engage our practice in a way that's relevant. Um, it's not just, hey, the way we've always done it. Uh, we know that today, quite often, peer is king in mm-hmm. relation to you. They are taking their cues from one another. Yeah. That is going to happen. So how do we ensure that you know the, the process and practice of ministry actually draws the very best of that dynamic mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, oh, my gosh, it's terrible. Young people are taking their cues from one another. They're not listening to us anymore. <laughs> well, maybe so, but that doesn't mean we still can't surround them with you know, the seniors and the, the aunties, the uncles, the spiritual mm-hmm. elders, if you like, in yeah. the context of a faith community. Um, I love that they're acknowledging that. Um, I think that's really exciting. And you know what? I, I take great encouragement from the, the, the couple of stories that you just shared a moment ago about the, the oldies uh, looking to engage in a healthy way and seeing churches come back from the brink. Mm. It's not impossible, mm. you know, and, and I, I would really want to hope that those who are listening um, would actually draw encouragement from that. Yeah. You know, we know that in Australia the average age of you know, church is, is rising <laughs> rapidly mm. in terms of participants and congregations. Um, but it doesn't mean it's over. Youth yeah. ministry is not a forgotten uh, practice, mm. so to speak. So I think I think the challenge that this holds is for those churches who are on the brink, or those who are struggling with youth, and who are saying that you know we we want want youth to participate, we want to prioritise. Look at your rhythms, look at your habits, look at what you're actually doing on the ground with these young people, because a lot of times churches say they love young people and exclude them from every every part of the church. Mm-hmm. I think what the research is suggesting is that that doesn't work. You mm-hmm. can't say you love young people and then not include them. You have to include them at all ages and stages. Um, Prioritise young people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Jimmy, if I can interview you, you were saying that one of the things that caught your interest was about keychain leadership. Yeah. And, and very clearly the book says, you know, one of the turning points for churches is how they handle leadership. What, what attracted you about that? I think the thing that attracted me about that is that I've seen it work. Like yeah. that was my that was my story. So I was I grew up in a church. I was an atheist until thirteen, fourteen. Had this radical transformation. Met Jesus. Um, just got invited to youth ministry. Got invited to church, and just got given tasks all the time. Like not in a way to sort of make me do stuff. Maybe it was a sort of way of keeping me busy. I had ADHD and <laughs> that that kind of guy. But I was just given stuff to do, and then suddenly I felt important. 
Mm. And then suddenly I was given stuff to do in the youth ministry. And then suddenly I became an important cog in the youth ministry. And then I became a youth leader. Then I became a youth pastor. And then somehow at the age of 26, I find myself a pastor because people kept inviting me. Somehow. (laughs) Because people kept inviting me into these tasks and roles and saying that what you do is important and the role that you play in faith is important. And that that was incredibly meaningful to me. So I looked out and go, yes, like Mm -hmm. that's, there's something there. That's my yeah. that's my story. Yeah. Um, I wasn't I wasn't brought in through the cool youth service. I wasn't brought in through. Um, I, I don't know. That's that that was my story. I was pulled in because I had a gift or, or a skill that could be used in the kingdom mm. of God. Yeah. And that was encouraged. Mm. And so I looked at that and go, yeah, mm. excellent. Let's keep doing that. Yeah. Now what's what I found what I appreciated about this aspect of their research is that. While they said, so there's a couple of different dynamics that are quite nuanced. On the one, they said, this has everything to do with leadership. This yeah. has everything to do with how we organize ourselves as a church. But they very quickly then said, but this is not about a single leader. There's no personality type. This is not about everything was terrible and then this dude showed up. Mm-hmm. You know, or then this volunteer stepped up. While there were stories like that, they were very quick to say, Across the board, this wasn't about a personality type or a leadership trait. So, but leadership was really instrumental in this. And where they steer into, I think, which is something that something that I've been sort of writing, thinking, and researching a bit about, is leadership has a dark side with youth ministry. Yeah. You know, like when if you're a small or a big operation, if you're under resourced and you need to get things done, very quickly you start looking around, and instead of young people being authorized and engaged and um, are enthused about the ministry life and advancing the kingdom and, of God, they, yeah. they represent a, a breathing functional human who can fill a task for you. Yeah. And so if we all know the stories of um, burnout that happens in young people, or like I, was at a, I was at a regional gathering of, of youth ministers not too long ago, and there was... Because they were youth ministers, like it was, it was much more a, a meeting about pragmatics. It wasn't necessarily we're not we weren't here to do theology. We we're here to kind of talk about some of the pragmatics of, of stuff. But at one point, it really struck me that we were very quickly using words like we were, they were, the words were being used in the group <laughs> that said things like discipleship and spiritual formation and challenge. But gee, it just sounded like institutional incorporation. Like it just sounded like. You know, when we challenge people to serve, it's we've got a lot to do around here and we need bodies to make it done, you know. Um, and so one of the key things that they're getting at with key chain leadership is trying to highlight this dimension that when we're in ministry and when we're underpaid, under-resourced and there's over-requirements of us, we can get co-opted really quickly. Yeah. We can cease looking at young people and... And see the you know the life and activity of God within them, and you know, like we see an open pair of hands and a, yeah. possibly a willing heart, and thank God someone who can hit the space bar on PowerPoint and keep us going for another day. Yeah. Um, what is being aimed at with that key chain leadership as idea is this genuine sense of distributing authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we as uh, you know, th- th- this kind of leadership is one which genuinely disempowers themselves in order to empower others which means that the ability to make decisions, the ability to influence direction and change and what actually happens and how it transpires is not just in the domain 
of the one of the youth leader or so on, but it is genuinely passed around. So that if young people are stepping into that, they're stepping into the authority, and they use the metaphor of taking a load bearing role. You know, like they, they, you know, if this doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, which means that what happens may not be in agreement with you. What happens may not be um, awesome or slick or even theologically correct from time <laughs> to time. It is a recipe for kind of messiness. But it speaks like this is one of these cultural changes that goes, you know, like, you know, the, the, the working world laments the fact that the 25-year-old, you know, wants to be CEO tomorrow and all the rest of it. But there's this genuine empowered sense of, I, look, I want to I wanna be able to have a say. I want my voice to be taken seriously around yeah, here. Yeah. So this dynamic of leadership is not so much about dragging people in to do tasks, but genuinely asking the person who is influencing leadership, authority and structure how to devolve that authority yeah. structure, flatten out and give it to young people yeah. in a way that will be messy. Mm. So if I could just put my, um, uh, my uh, I've really set myself up here because <laughs> I, I can't give a label to this because instantly people will think I'm talking about them. Uh, nonetheless, if I could play devil's advocate for a moment. Sure. Uh, I'm in a church and I'm desperately example, trying to... see your friend's church, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. My friend's church. <laughs> Can't tell church. De- desperately <laughs> trying to uh, engage, you know, under 30s in some form of ministry. Uh, I have worked really hard to try and help them understand something of their sense of call and vocation and that God's wired them for a, you know... Uh, a genuine contribution to the kingdom that's unique and beautiful and is important and if they don't do it it ain't going to happen uh and what i keep getting back is uh nah no where do we go with that okay my response is that you won't find the answer in this chapter okay why but, not? <laughs> <laughs> because fundamentally, that's not a leadership question. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, because there are other dynamics at play, and this is where I think um, that um, the related chapters that we're talking about, like in terms of the church's relationship to young people, the sense of warmth that a community has and a sense of priority is where that particularly plays out. All right. So young people aren't invested where they don't have belonging. Yeah. All right. If it's your vision and not theirs, then they're yeah. not in. Um, being cajoled towards something that sounds like a good idea is, is kind of interesting, but it's not actually theirs if they haven't been authorised for it. Yeah. You know? um, so that, that's, on the one hand, we mentioned the warmth factor that they found overwhelmingly it's not about cool, but you know, a, a central um, dynamic that is within young people that gets strongly resolved or needs to be resolved across the 15 to the 30 is a sense of belonging. And communities that provide belonging are warm. They're not big. It's not critical mass. Mm. It's critical authenticity mm. right? and the, the ability to be authentic and honest and true within community. And when that transpires, then you're in. Mm. And you'll perpetuate that and you'll propel that. And because it's a place of warmth, and then the second thing, because young people feel like I'm important around here, mm. like they actually give a rat's about me, and they give a rat's about what I say, then now the ideas for what they want to do are gen- generated out of them. So you're not an Mway salesperson trying to sell them the next great thing, and they really need to do that because Jesus wants them to. And da 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 da. The whole dynamic is now switched. Yeah. They're so connected. They have such a sense of belonging, and they're so desirous of being around. Um, that they want to do stuff together mm. Mm. and what do you want to do? And then partly then your 
role if you're in a leadership capacity is if they just keep coming up with social ideas to do, then you begin to expand their horizons mm. to become more cared and concerned about broader things. But we'll talk about that next time we get together when we talk <laughs> about our relationship with culture. Mm. But if you find there's this disconnect between people's c- commitment to who you are as a kind of community, then part of what uh, Growing Young invites you to think about is what is the sense of actual sense of belonging and relational connection that exists. But be careful if you're seeking to grow belonging so that they do your will when you're back into manipulation land yeah. and not leadership. Okay. So the million-dollar question then is what is real authenticity in youth ministry? Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, if... If churches that are warm, yeah. that invite people into this realness, this authentic belonging, this community that um, that they can be a part of no matter who they are or where they come from, and that's theirs, mm-hmm. how how do we go about building that or making that? or I, I don't know what the right metaphor is, mm-hmm. but if that, that seems to be the million-dollar question, right, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like um, how do we actually go around having communities that are authentic and real. All right. Yeah. Do you want to jump? I just have, I guess, um, my my initial response, because I think that's an, um, a brilliant question, and uh, one of the, the catch cries, particularly of the current generation, or even if you want to go over the last five or so years, potentially longer, is that it's just all about community. If we mm-hmm. get community right, everything else falls into place. But here's the thing. Community is a byproduct of shared experience. You can't actually create community. I don't think you can create community. You can do things that will bring people together and you can develop the environment, as Rowan was describing before, that sense of warmth, that sense of invitation, that sense of, hey, you are a part of this and we're not complete without you and, um, you know, no reference to Tom Cruise there. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, if, if we are endeavouring to be real in our, in our um, and integrous in our care for one another then that sense of belonging will transpire. That sense of shared experience then is uh, multiplied Mm. and therefore community is formed. Um, But the sorts of experiences you share will determine the sort of community you become. Mm. So I I tend Mm. to think it's it's an interesting mix of both and it's more art than science. It's, It's being intentional about what we gather around, but it's actually also ensuring that what we do is done with open arms mm-hmm. and, um, and and when you think about that in terms of the way in which the church is understood and known you know one of the, the key criticisms of the church at large it has often been it's judgmental I don't belong there I do not want to go there I feel like anything I do and say is going to you know that, that's the exact opposite <laughs> to warmth and open arms mm-hmm. so that's a, a bigger a bigger challenge than we perhaps give credence for. It's easy. It kind of rolls off the tongue easy. Just be warm and loving. Of course, that's who we well, are. That's, that's, that's the choice. That's what we I'll do. Just, I'll just be me then. That's what <laughs> we do. But, well, actually, we need to have a good hard look in the mirror because we're not always like that. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, there's, there's a whole other thing, you know, a bunch of things we can talk about there. So that's my initial response to that. The sorts of experiences we share will help build community, but at the same time, how we have those experiences mm. will, uh, will make or break whether or not community is formed. Mm. All right, so I might lose some friends here. Um, (laughs) I'm becoming convinced that... That might be an overstatement, but um, the pastoral role has become... We're increasingly concerned with how we manage the activities of which our church is a part. 
and they move much more towards management than, than pasta. And so one of the um, impasses, one of the differences of viewpoint that was found by, by growing young was that when they asked the pastors and the leaders, what is it about your church that seems to be so, you know, seems to be functioning so well for young people? They were twice as likely to say worship style, music, relevance, like almost cool quotient stuff, mm. right? The stuff that we, the way that we look, the way that we're packaged and the way that we're organized. When you asked the young people themselves, their key adjectives, they're the key words that they said, what's this community like for you? Welcoming, accepting, belonging, authentic, hospitable, caring. Mm. These were the words that they said, this is a place where, this was a place where they never said, this was a place where the music's really cool. Mm. This is a place where their worship is really, you know, right? Um, so in another place, they found that when uh, pastoral leaders were asked, what are the characteristics of a young person who's vibrant in faith? They were far more likely to say external characteristics like regularly attending worship, showing up on time, da 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 da, da right? mm-hmm. um, As opposed to really getting at some of the internal dynamics which describe you know, when faith is going well in a young person. And so there's this interesting picture that you have to look almost between the lines in the research, but there's this interesting thing that the more we focus on institutional dynamics, programs, keeping the ball rolling, the more we shift away from community where acceptance, belong, you know, and so on and so on and so on is, um, is, is transpiring. And there's enough evidence to say we're kind of, uh, when we're involved in leadership, we're so, um, so in demand and so kind of focused on making the thing happen that we're starting to miss what's actually going on, which is, where is God alive in young people? How do young people genuinely connect? Mm. Um, In what ways can I, with you, young person, because I understand your story so well and I can see the presence of God, how can I fan that into flames? Those those kinds of questions aren't present to many pastors these days. Um, In fact, when you go to youth ministry and you say, tell me about that person, I'll get comments like, they're great, they're bad, they're a pain in the neck, they're this (laughs) or that, all right? Um, but to say, can you, t- can you tell me some of the dynamics um, of how God's alive, alive or at work in their life? What are the ways that they are some perhaps even defended against the activity that they've got nothing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the thing, I think, that when we, when we deal with the surface, when we're managing, when we're organising, we can keep the machine going. Um, but if we're talking about pastoring it, the souls of our young people and genuinely connecting for vibrant faith, it's a different kind of story. And what young people are telling us is my soul is tended to and I grow in vibrancy of faith when I'm involved in a community where I feel welcomed, accepted, belonging, where I can be authentic, where I can be honest with my stuff, where I can know that it's a process and journey, where the destination is emphasised but I'm allowed to be where I'm at and in process. All these things tend to transpire and, and when you listen to young people, this is what they'll say, I grow in these contexts, mm. not where things are just vibrant or well-organised or glitzy or glamoury or whatever. Mm. Mate, that's, it's been a, a fantastic conversation to have. Gosh, I feel like we, could, we are going to keep going, right? That's we're right. we're going to jump into part two, um, but we're going to leave it there right now. Um, we would absolutely encourage, endorse uh, this book. We, we think it's well worth a read. Fuller aren't paying us to say this, by the way. Um, okay. <laughs> I would free. love some money. Brad, if you're listening. <laughs> we need to go to see 
world. <laughs> Hook a brother up. Uh, anyway, so uh, we would definitely encourage you to do that. You can get it from any uh, decent bookstore, website, and in fact, you could jump onto the Fuller Youth Institute website itself and probably order it through there, no doubt. Uh, you've been listening to the NYMC podcast uh, with Brenton and Jimmy. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation, please jump onto our social media platforms. We would love to hear more from you. You can find out more about NYMC, its various programs and events coming up through their website at nymc.org.au. We'll look forward to catching up with you for part two of this conversation around growing young next time.